college to get more knowledge girls go to jupiter to get more stupider uh that's right it's books for the boys month you know what's stupid is that stupider isn't a word it's a month dedicated to scraped knees loogies and suppressed vulnerability all the things i hate in real life but love in books so girls you're not allowed just kidding, you are. You're like most of our listening audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just trying to emulate a, um, well, a middle grade boy in our era. Yeah. Not today's era. I think my little boy voice kind of sounds like Trump. Uh, maybe girls a little bit. Girls are not allowed. <laughs> girls are not allowed. No girls on a podcast. It's a little bit higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Trump Jr. Right, Trump Jr. Baron Trump. <laughs> so anyways, guys, that's right. Forget about Valentine's Day. It's books for the boys. Forget about Mardi Gras. It's books for the boys. Forget about black. Actually, let's keep that one. Actually, yeah, we're we'll gonna keep, keep that one. That, um, but otherwise. One. President's Day? I don't know. Get it out of here. Groundhog's Day. That was yesterday. Done. Don't need it. <laughs> books for the boys. <laughs> so let's go. Yeah. Well, hello and welcome to Not So Young Adults, where two former teens try to recapture the glory days of their youth by discussing their favorite young adult books to figure out what makes them so timeless. My name is Spencer, and I am joined with my lovely fiancé, co-host, and our resident librarian. You know it. You love it. Say it with me. Jess. (laughs) Hi. How are you, Jess? You know, I'm feeling pretty good. I got my coffee right here next to me. I got my phone, my back's propped up. I honestly can't complain. You're looking comfy cozy. Thank you, I am. But we're about to get uncomfy cozy with our first entry into Books for the Boys, something we've been looking forward to doing since we started this pod. Yeah. I'm so excited. And I want to preface this by saying that these books aren't necessarily intended for boys, just that these are books that were really popular for middle school boys. Yeah. And they were kind of marketed towards that. Uh, But coming from me, I also enjoyed well. Yeah. Some of these books as well. So it's it's for all genders. Yeah, we, we say it kind of tongue in cheek, but it's just because like when I think back of like middle school books I was reading when I was getting into reading, besides like your Harry Potters and your fantasy series, I think of the books that like I loved were these like boy centric books. Yeah. And this one probably most of all of the ones we're going to do. Uh, but yeah there's just, it's just fun and it just it, it's kind of an older vibe it's a very specific kind of book for a specific age point that i just have a lot of nostalgia for especially this one yeah totally i would say for me it's outsiders specifically yes. um so our series i guess we could just say yeah. we're doing hatchet today mm-hmm. um and then our next episode we're covering the classic book holes, holes. and then we are going to close out books for the boys with the outsiders easily the best like literary quality of all three it's yeah absolutely a a true classic in and of itself yeah and we'll probably do a bonus episode on holes the movie the Um, iconic it is it can't be beat honestly just Uh, amazing but um i think 
we're not going to do a special episode of the Outsiders movie. We'll just kind of talk about how hot all of the boys are. Yes. There. Yes, and... absolutely. I have a, a, a whole anecdote about that. <laughs> uh, but but that's... let's move on to yes. Hatchet. But let's get on to Hatchet. So Hatchet by Gary Paulson comes out in 1989, I believe. Uh, I Something thought it was like 87. That. Let me double check. Uh and it says when written mid 1980s helpful published 1987 <laughs> i was gonna right. say uh it won that 1986 newberry honor award okay so hatchet is by author gary paulson comes out in 1987 wins the uh, newberry award very acclaimed book on the cover of the copy i have it says over four and a half million copies sold it is a staple of middle school middle grade English in reading classes. I don't know. Did you read this in in school? No, I did not. I'm I'm telling you, the only book of these three that mm-hmm. I've actually read is The Outsiders, and I I read that aloud to my eighth grade English class because the teacher was very like hands off, and she's like, "Y'all figure it out." Mm. And I volunteered every day, and you would to this well, maybe not to this day, but for years afterwards, like my senior year in high school, this kid that was also in the class, Miguel, he mm-hmm. would tell me all the time, like every time I hear your voice, you're pony boy in my mind. He's like, <laughs> I cannot hear you talk and not think of That's funny. <laughs> book. I love that. Yeah, I didn't get assigned it in class, but I read it in like seventh or eighth grade. Hatchet? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I was obsessed with it. I love this book. I knew of it and it was it was doing its rounds. It was mm-hmm. it was honestly, here here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I felt too boyish to me. I wasn't into like the whole nature thing. Yeah. This is definitely the most boy centric of these books. Yeah. Uh in the series. Uh but it, it it's a hit and um it yeah, it was just one of those that was in you always saw it around in the library you know, with the outsiders and stuff like that. And I would like at my old house behind our house was just kind of like a wooded area. Love that for you. But not like woods, woods, you yeah, know, this is South Texas woods, just scraggly trees, trees, a lot of just <laughs> like point pokey bushes and, uh-huh. and, and stuff. And so like me and my friends would like go out there and we do like survival, like where we'd just be out there all day and like pretend like we're rationing saltines and like, <laughs> that's really cute we were so prepared and worried about boars like we had like <laughs> weapons on us like hey no that's fair in like central texas yeah no San Antonio it is a area, thing. that is a thing to worry about it you were in the suburbs yeah there were no boars but... around but like we had heavy sticks and like plans like what to do if a boar came like escape routes and stuff it hey was... you know a boar killed robert baratheon so and the whole world just went downhill after that. I can't that. be too careful. But anyways, uh, I can't praise this book enough. It, it. I am not a boy boy. I'm not like a, a very, you know, masculine, heteronormative man, as you can tell by me hosting a podcast about young adult books. But I, but the the ten the very like stereotypical boy things I like are sports and like survival stories. Just I want to go out with which the, is so strange with because a machete. You hate camping. I hate camping because it's boring. Because <laughs> when I just go camping and we're not doing anything, we're just sitting by a fire drinking beer, and I was like, I could do this at home. <laughs> There's nothing about this. The idea of having to like survive, hike through the woods that appeals to me. I like that. So funny. So, well, b- let's just go ahead and and get into the chapter summary, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the book afterwards. Yeah. So could you start us off, Jess, with the book's dedication? 
gladly to the students of Hershey Middle School. I like that dedication. I don't, you don't see that very often. So our story begins with a young protagonist, 13-year-old Brian Robeson. Hate the name Robeson. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. It, I thought it, that too. It the never sounds right. The second I read that, I said, mm. Just, it doesn't flow well. I don't like it. But anyways, Brian is in a situation I pray to never be in, fine in a two-person bush plane over the Canadian wilderness. Fortunately, Brian is far braver than me and is more concerned with the events that brought him to this place, namely his parents' divorce and his discovery of what he refers to as the secret, something he knows about his mother that his father does not. We then learn that Brian is traveling from New York City. The big old Big old apple, apple top cake. Uh, <laughs> improv. I am a master of it. He's flying from old New York City to visit his father, who recently moved out to the middle of the Canadian wilderness. Which Pres- is odd, anyways. It's presumably he does this to help him forget about his ex-wife, is my read of the situation. Well, I wonder why she's his ex-wife. We'll get there. Uh, it does seem like he just took a job. I think he works like an oil. Yeah, that's what something. I took it to mean. But like, what a strange move. I bet this... he makes bank, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He you doing these kind of gigs. Yeah, I'm thinking of like people who work offshore because I'm on the other side of the country off of the Gulf over here. Um, and people who work offshore there, they make a lot of money. They make a but lot of money. They're also like working for two, three months at a time yeah. and like are in very dangerous situations. That's how I like to live. <laughs> Brian seems to blame his mother for the divorce and had refused to talk to her on their entire drive to the airport, which I don't know where this is because he's from New York City, but they're fla- they go to like a tiny airport to a small plane that flies across Canada. So like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there is a few, like, municipal small airports, like, outside of the city. Mm, it's possible. We'll have we'll have to do some research on that. <laughs> we won't, but we should. <laughs> I was like, I know of a couple municipal airports in the Houston area alone. All right. You don't need to brag. Uh, but Brian does feel a bit of guilt about his cold shoulder he gives his mother as she gives him a parting present. A brand new hatchet. Which is it's a, a very nice gesture. Yeah. And honestly, it reminds me of something that, like, if you and your mom were in that situation, she would totally give you a hatchet. She'd give me, like, a whole survival kit. She'd give me, like, Correct. yeah. But... But, but, like, a hatchet that's, like, nice and, like, engraved and, like, yeah. is meaningful. <laughs> like, I feel like that's... It. <laughs> it's a really thoughtful gift. It is. And... It also feels, like, weirdly, like, an 80s gift. I don't know why I get that vibe, but it's, oh, like... Interesting. Just, it's just, like, it, it goes in your belt loop. It's like a hatchet. It slides right in your belt loop. Okay, that's an interesting take. I don't know why it feels... It feels a little quaint to me. I think of it more of like getting a watch on your 18th birthday kind of vibe. It feels very much like a coming of age type of gift. I just feel like we don't give children bladed weapons as often anymore. Yeah, except when your child is going in a two-person Cessna plane over into the Canadian wilderness but see, and that... you feel guilty about his, your divorce. <laughs> right, I guess. It's, but if like you were true, she was truly concerned about like him surviving in the wilderness, I think she could have gave him like some bear mace or like, you know. Well, I, again, I don't think that was No, I think it was the, just a cool thing. Gift. It was just like, yeah, what, what, it kind what, what, of fits what a boy like? the aesthetic of where he's going. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll get some use out of it. Who knows? In this book called Hatchet, will this hatchet <laughs> come up again? So the plane's pilot passes the time by showing Brian how the controls work, even briefly giving him control of it. Hate which, this guy. 
when I was reading this, right, like I had no idea. I obviously know that he gets stranded in the wilderness and I'm thinking, oh God, is he going to crash the plane? Well, kind of. That part scared me. Yeah, but me also too. I think it served as a point to let us, the audience, know that the plane really does kind of just drive itself. Definitely. Yeah. I think fun- uh, narratively it has that function. And then also you could say like Brian being given the semblance of control in this moment, but he doesn't really have control mm-hmm. much like he doesn't have any control over his life at this point mm-hmm. with his parents being divorced, something that's kind of happening to him without him having any kind of power over it. So figurative and narrative. You know, purpose. Th- it's doing book things. It is. It is. As we like to say around here. <laughs> So their little lesson is cut short when the pilot starts complaining about shoulder and stomach pain. A few minutes later, his body begins to violently spasm from a heart attack, causing him to pass out and even worse, (laughs) release a stream of foul smelling farts. I don't know. Presumably. I don't know. I'd forgotten about that little detail from Rena as a kid. And it just is stuck with me that like you're also you're stuck in this plane. The pilot's dead. Or at least passed out, and it just smells awful. Yeah. Um, Brian tries calling for help over the radio, but the pilot's spasm had knocked the plane off course and out of range of any other stations. So the plane cruises on autopilot for another hour or so. Honestly, I think it might have been two or three. I think it was several hours, which is more terrifying. Yes. You're just stuck there. Yes. Um, so it just keeps going before running out of fuel and rapidly plunges to the earth. Brian manages to steer the plane toward a lake at the last minute, sending them crashing into the water. Brian manages to escape the sinking plane and swims ashore before passing out. He wakes up the next day in a daze, thinking again about the secret, which we learn is is actually when he accidentally discovers his mother having an affair. Mm-hmm. That is a rough look. It is a rough look, yeah. Uh, but Brian is brought back to the present by the searing pain coming from all over his body. Though he is in a lot of pain, he's pretty sure none of his injuries are life-threatening, so pretty lucky, all, all considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian begins to panic, though, when he realizes that the plane going off course means that it will take much longer for someone to come find him. But... He remembers his English teacher telling him to always stay positive and that he himself is his most important asset. Once the pain subsides enough for him to move, Brian starts getting to work being a man. There's a couple things in there that I'm going to talk about later. Yeah, same. My... <laughs> same. <laughs> little thing. But uh, one thing Brian I Brian do... had a very great... He had a perfect uh, series of events in his past that like really helped him out. <laughs> It's a very poignant lesson. Yes. Um, Brian uses a stone overhang to build a makeshift shelter and finds a few ambiguous berries to eat. And after they make him sick because he's dumb and eats the pits, which like you eat cherries in real life. You eat apricots. You don't Mm -hmm. just munch on down the pits because, yeah, yeah, it'll make your tummy upset. Even cherry pits. In fairness, I don't think he's eaten in like several days at this point. Yeah, but I mean, I I was just like, wow, what a stupid decision to make. But also, um, I was thinking as he did that in my head, I'm like, Aren't they poisonous? If he eats enough of them, like, like, because cherry pits will have like cyanide in them. Do we know there's a, uh, these are even cherries? Well, uh, no, but I'm just thinking of of pits themselves, yeah. like apricot yeah. pits or like mm-hmm. pitted fruits. And I looked it up, 
and realized that maybe this isn't something I should be Googling because like one of the, you could see like previous questions and their mm-hmm. answers. And one of them was like, how many cherry pits to kill a human? And I was like, you know, hmm. I'm just gonna not do this anymore. It's like, <laughs> uh, I have uh, one of my like interests is in the history of drug medications, um, mm-hmm. especially like illicit drugs. The history of, of right, manufacture of, of speed giving yeah. pregnant women like morphine. Yeah, and and in <laughs> housewives it's given a meth because uh-huh. they're bored and stuff. But one of the first amphetamines ever produced was called benzedrine. And I was wondering, I'm like, do they still prescribe that ever, like anywhere? I was just curious. And I, I put that into Google. Is it still possible to get Benzedrine? And like the first thing that came up was like a, a rehab hotline, drug, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> drug like, addiction if hotline. You're, <laughs> you're having like, trouble. If you need help, call I'm just a curious boy, Google. I swear. <laughs> I don't want it. Uh, so anyways, um, the cherries, the, the what does he call them? The gut cherries. Gut cherries make him sick. And he finds some much tastier raspberries. Brian also has a run-in with a black bear. But instead of being eaten, Brian becomes more connected with nature or something. Yeah, it's kind of weird. He, he really goes full hippie, like, immediately. Yeah, and, and it's like, the bear, the bear didn't want to hurt me. It saw me, and it went past. And I'm like thinking if it was a different kind of bear it probably would have tried to eat you yeah or if like it was hungry or you spooked it yeah if you were if you were a little too close to like if it was winter for example yeah early spring yeah you would have died brother yeah he he goes dives right into the whole i'm connect everything is connected all organisms are one thing which i'm not (laughs) necessarily against sure but but things are a lot more dangerous than maybe you're making it out to be i feel like yeah i'd be a little more concerned about the bear (laughs) so (laughs) it kind of uh, paulson does kind of make up for it he has a much less enlightening animal encounter the next night when a porcupine comes to his shelter to steal his precious berries oh no my berries now i was surprised to see that it was a porcupine because when he talked about like the pain in his legs i thought snake immediately Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but i guess i'd rather have a porcupine because at least they're not venomous depends on the snake true so in classic porcupine style (laughs) the critter jabs brian's legs with its quills causing him to throw his hatchet at it well the hatchet misses the pokey boy but it hits a rock outside his shelter creating a shower of sparks and just like that brian invented fire and that porcupine's name prometheus <laughs> head cannon head cannon the gods came down to help Brian. we were watching percy jackson so that was we on are. my brain <laughs> it's good, it's good. my head cannon is that it was a prometheus coming down in porcupine form just give him a As little job yeah, get it yeah. together man <laughs> so after creating fire brian kind of speeds run the After creating fire, Brian speed runs the entire Stone Age, quickly creating a spear for fishing and a bow and arrow for hunting tiny defenseless birds that I'm honestly surprised haven't already been hunted to extinction. (laughs) They're these like classic flightless birds that have no predators and they just kind of walk. He like steps on them accidentally several times. And I'm like, how are these birds alive? But over the next 40 days, Brian fights for survival, overcoming attacks from a skunk and one particularly grumpy moose. I do kind of like that he has run-ins with a bear and a wolf at different points Mm -hmm. who do nothing, but he gets jacked up by porcupines, skunks, and moose, which which you wouldn't expect, but I do think that's 
accurate. I can appreciate that. Well, no, it makes sense. Although I will say the point I'm about to make might become moot when it comes to the moose, but you're going to die if he gets into a fight with a wolf or a bear. Right. Like, if, if that altercation had happened it'd be more likely that he's dead afterwards. Right. So it makes more sense for the smaller animals that will just provide him an extreme inconvenience. True. Definitely true. Uh, But I do like that the book doesn't go with just the the cliche of a carnivore top yeah. carnivore top predator because yeah. all animals can be dangerous for in, sure in some capacity or another and i feel like a lot of people in our neck of the woods might not think of moose being yes. like kind of as deadly as they could possibly be but, but those suckers got huge horns and they're ginormous giant. yeah because like i think most people think moose is like roughly the size of a horse way bigger than a horse yeah it's it, they're huge yeah. and honestly terrifying and i would not want to be near a moose unless there was a fence between it and me yeah same <laughs> same girl so brian is basically he's self-reliant now he's got a whole system he's got plenty of food however one night the lake is struck by a tornado didn't even know they had tornadoes in canada but here we go <laughs> uh, brian barely survives but his shelter is completely destroyed and this setback would have completely disheartened the Brian that we meet at the beginning of the story. But this new, much more resilient and patient Brian just gets right back to work, dusts himself off and go, well, build another shelter. Mm-hmm. I really liked that scene where it describes like the water spout. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, because go- the tornado goes on the lake and like basically makes a little like cyclone thing. Yeah which is just neat. So the NATO (laughs) turns out to be a blessing in disguise as it dislodges the plane and exposes its tail above the lake's surface. So remembering the survival kit is stored inside, Brian sets out to retrieve it. He builds a raft to take him out to the exposed tail and begins hacking away until he's able to climb inside to retrieve the precious package. He drops his hatchet at one point right. and like nearly loses it yeah. and then comes to realize how important that hatchet is mm-hmm. and how it's basically saved his life. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we want to put in the more divorce story into this area, I think it'd be a great time to talk about how it was purchased for him out of his mother's guilt and how that really kind of saved him in the end. I have many uh, lovely presents I've received over the years through my parents' guilt about the divorce. So I fully support this idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm not painting mom to be out the bad guy, by the way. I'm just... You could. Well, you we'll could, see. but you oh, yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit later. So uh, anyway, so while he's inside of the plane, he catches a glimpse of the pilot whose flesh has been all but completely torn away by the lake's wildlife. An image that will no doubt lead to years of therapy and many traumatic Halloweens. Imagine you see any skeleton decoration to be like, ah, the pilot. Ah, the no, but in all reality, like seeing a dead body is a tough thing, a tough thing to experience. I imagine, especially as a 13 year old mm-hmm. that like he's been able to be tough and to compartmentalize because he's had to focus on survival this whole time. Mm-hmm. But now he's forced to have this at the forefront that there was a human that mm-hmm. was with him that just died. Yeah. And very, very easily could have also been in that same situation. Could have been dead too. Yeah. In that crash. It's, it's scary. It's upsetting, I would say. Yeah. 
So the haul from the survival pack is greater than every Christmas and birthday Brian's ever had before combined. It was pretty sweet. Right. It really <laughs> is. Uh, for our Gen Z listeners, think of it as like the most trill loot box ever. <laughs> I'm just reminded of the time where uh, Hurricane Ike came through when I was in seventh grade and like the power was out for like a, a week um all of my family was staying at my house and we had to just play outside because it was too hot to be inside Mm -hmm. and we got mres Uh, we would go down (laughs) to the stadium uh like the high school stadium pick up mres and then just kind of like play with them and that was like our dinner outside and it was just a really fun thing i imagine it's a lot more enjoyable whenever you don't have any food i i would think so (laughs) like the desperateness and Mm -hmm. the importance of it no it's got to be so satisfied uh but inside our treasures and comforts brian thought he might never see again this includes a a cooking set fishing pole sleeping bag matches a compass first aid kit and even a branded baseball cap that brian (laughs) immediately puts on i just love that little moment it's a little cessna (laughs) Mm -hmm. baseball cap and he's just like Put that on. And it's just a cute <laughs> little human moment I just wanted to include. It is. Uh, the bag even comes with some kind of like radio device, but it, nothing happens when Brian flips it on, so he just kind of tosses it aside. Once the excitement dies down, though, Brian feels a strange sense of unease, especially with the hunting rifle, which makes him feel somewhat separated from the natural world around him. I wonder if there's a message there about violence and nature and... No, that's probably nothing. Uh, But Brian copes with these uncomfortable feelings the way any good American would, with a feast. Yes. But in the middle of making a delicious dehydrated dinner, a buzzing sound comes from overhead. And soon a plane lands on the lake, and a pilot steps out and approaches, asking if he's the missing kid, Brian. After a stunned moment, Brian clears his throat and invites the pilot to dinner. I love that. Such a great moment. It is. Just a great line to uh-huh. have him say. So uh-huh. good. I'll talk a little bit about that later, but just a, a very nice button on his arc, that story. Definitely. Um, in the epilogue, we learn that the pilot had heard the signal from the transmitter Brian thought was broken. In total, Brian had been surviving on his own for 54 days. The ordeal caused him to lose 17% of his body fat much of which he would never regain. Jealous. I mean, well, from kid to adult, you tend to kind of lose your baby fat also. So I would imagine it's... Sign me up for that diet. It would never come back again. Um, But... Like his parents. (laughs) But the biggest change was in Brian's mind. For years, the mundane abundance of food in grocery stores would leave him awestruck. And he was more observant and patient in every in every facet of his life. One could say that he was deeply traumatized. I I would say that, actually. (laughs) That's my diagnosis. I don't think he's ever going to really get over this. (laughs) For for a brief time, it seemed like Brian's return would lead them to lead his parents to getting back together. But life eventually returned to the way it was before. Brian considered telling his dad the secret, but ultimately decides that um not to sorry oh i left a a, crossed out a really original line there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we don't need to worry about that (laughs) so that is yeah it's kind of short short and sweet very short and sweet um tied up with a nice bow at the end yeah no i think a perfect length for 
middle grade book very effective i think you could argue some parts are a bit rushed some of the progression mm-hmm. um especially like how quickly from getting the survival pack to getting rescued is a little jarring but yeah. um i think that's very purposeful and i'm gonna talk about that in a little bit but overall it's just it's just fun solid read it's just a great story paced per- really well for the most part mm-hmm. and just very engaging yeah I, lo- I loved it i've loved it since i was a kid it's just oh it's a great book it is uh, but now that we know what happened, let's dive into our personal proclivities for this week's book. We'll be talking about our favorite facts, figures, and findings, starting with number one. It's really a de- uh, more of a discussion. Yeah. Did the pilot poo his pants? I think he did. I do, too. I thought you thought he didn't. No. Well, I, I was thinking that he probably didn't until he died mm. because uh, Brian mentions the stench being like kind of overwhelming at that point once mm-hmm. he like slumps over. I think um, the first fart was was poo more, was more than a fart. Probably, I think I think that was it was rough from the get go. <sighs> yeah, I mean, because like a lot of people don't realize that your body just kind of lets go of everything when you die. Yeah, and women often poo when they give birth, so there's yeah. kind of a nice symmetry there. R- sure, I suppose. We arrive amongst poo and we leave amongst <laughs> poo. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it was an interesting take. Uh, Probably for the boys. One for the boys there. One for the boys. (laughs) It's a duke. Um, So number two, the way they describe Brian's thought process on how to land the plane, (laughs) like looking at the buttons and bubbles and figuring out what they mean. Oh, this one must mean altitude and and Mm -hmm. this must mean how much gas is in the tank. Uh, This is exactly why men everywhere think that they could just land a plane if they needed to. I could do it. Like, ask any man. Yeah, Literally, I, I everybody listening, go ask a man, it the nearest man, if, if I, he thinks that he could land a plane in an emergency. If I had coach aid, if I was on the radio, I could do it. <laughs> I could pull it off. Be fine. <laughs> you wouldn't even notice. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I do love that moment. That moment made me think of um, if this was in uh, Series of Unfortunate Events, how the layers would just, like, completely own this story oh they would, yeah they would absolutely they'd thrive they'd build a radio transmitter out of like tree bark and, and <laughs> turtle eggs and yeah it, it also would just land the plane like right, perfectly yeah, yeah it, it'd be great um number three i think i found a typo in this book okay give it to us um he brian at one point describes the bear as having a cinnamon colored noise i'm imagining that's supposed to be nose oh yeah you're probably right on that so i don't know if that's you know disqualifies the book entirely but it does make it yeah i'm gonna say let's scrap this whole episode yeah get it get it out of here <laughs> one star but you know, it's just such a classic book it's been reprinted so many times I'm, I, i'll have to look into that more but i'm like that's a pretty glaring yeah typo. it is um number four so the description of brian fighting his way out of the water after the plane crash um just like him running on pure instinct, you know, that biological base need to survive. It honestly reminds me of when our dog jumped into the pool <laughs> at my sister's house. Yeah. And when I had gotten to her, like I got to her within like 10 seconds probably. And she had already made her way to the edge of the pool and had her front paws like out on to mm-hmm. like the the concrete on the edge of the pool like she had somehow 
figured out how to swim to the edge and grasp on to the outside of the pool. And um, that just made me think of that. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty tragic to see. <laughs> she did get cut up, actually, from yeah, like, the thing. concrete. And we all ended up fine. It was a big scare, though. <laughs> it was very, very scare. Uh, number five. Um, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but Brian... They set up Brian's like knowledge of like being able to figure out things mm-hmm. pretty much exclusively through him having very like conveniently uh, astute memories. Yeah. Uh, the first of which being his uh, English teacher, who for some reason was teaching this the class a lesson on like perseverance and like self reliance. Which fine, you know what? If it's gonna be any teacher, it's probably your English teacher. No, that's your history teacher that's doing that. Okay, I, I could see that too. Um, more on that on my yeah. number eight, I will say. Okay, but like, <laughs> th- it's just like the way it's phrased, where the teacher's like, "You are your greatest resource." Like, I don't know. That's just what what book were they talking about? No, yeah. Uh, but and then um. He has like a force ghost dad moment where he's like imagines he's like with his dad and his dad's like can't talk. I don't remember. It's like an actual dream. It's a dream. Okay, it is a dream. But like his dad does wordlessly like shows Brian how to start a fire. And so Brian, then that's how he like figures out how to get the sparks to light a fire. He wakes up from that dream Mm -hmm. by the porcupine. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah. like the noise of it kind of wakes him up and... And the for me the weirdest of all is um, he, <laughs> he finds uh, a batch of sea turtle eggs uh-huh. or snapping turtle eggs. Snapping turtle, yeah. I'm like, there's no sea. Uh, yeah, that'd be weird. <laughs> um, but he and he's like, can't doesn't sure if he should eat them or not. And then he's like, well, he has he remembers his uncle Carter who put uh always put an, a raw egg in a glass of milk and drink it in the morning which i guess shows tells brian that it's probably safe to eat a raw egg but i'm just like what a weird callback it's so strange <laughs> he's, just, he's desperate enough he's just gonna eat a raw egg yeah <laughs> <laughs> like salmonella is the least of your problems at yeah this point. It, it really isn't also you couldn't think of to put like two sticks like over the fire and then like fit the eggs in and kind of like yeah that's a whole thing where he builds them like, up inside the shell i don't know he builds a whole raft and like all these other tools and stuff but he never like finds a way to like well i guess he roasts like a bird on a spick at one point yeah so he, he could, can't do that so like yeah i'm surprised he didn't try to cook the egg at any point but i guess he'd have to cook it in the shell I yeah don't know. that's what i mean is that I, that's what i would try to do but then again i'm not a 13 year old middle school boy no and you no, and I never as, will be. As far as you will, yeah, that's past you now. But <laughs> as far as I know, none of your uncles eat raw eggs in the morning. Uh, as far as you know. I wouldn't put it past them. There's a few I could guess. Might. <laughs> um, <laughs> number six, the beginning of chapter five. Uh, do you have the book with you? Uh, I can pull up a PDF. Okay. I just typed PDF. <laughs> that's not going to help me. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the beginning of chapter five to me immediately reads like there were three things I knew with absolute certainty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was very Twilight vibe. Yeah. Wanna go ahead and read what I'm talking about. His eyes snapped open, hammered open, and there were these things about himself that he knew instantly. <laughs> he was unbelievably viciously thirsty. His mouth was dry and tasted foul and sticky, and he was irrevocably... <laughs> completely in love <laughs> with the Cessna airplane. <laughs> Anyways, I was I was yeah. listening to the book and I thought, so, hmm, there's a that 
that sounds familiar. That sounds very familiar. <laughs> it's a, a famous quote from Twilight. For anyone doesn't remember. Yeah. And you should. If you didn't and know you that, should. go back and reread it. Yeah, please. you have to read the whole series now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do love that. Uh, number seven, as I mentioned before, I love an inventory breakdown in a book. Mm. And one of the just the uh, most satisfying moments in this book, uh, all books I've read in my life, is like him going through the survival kit. And he's like got all this gear, all this cool stuff. And you're just like, yeah, oh, man, you've got that. It's like, cool. He's got a whole set. I just I don't know what it, it might. It's some lizard brain thing of like hunter gatherer that like I right just no love it's that. super satisfying it's like okay i think of two instances where like if if say my sister was going backpacking and she's like let me show you what i got in my bag mm-hmm. i would absolutely love that yeah like what have you prepared for yourself like what do you have to yeah keep you to survive like have you seen those posts where people like lay out all their camping gear yes. and you're just like oh yeah. i love it yeah that's also so good. kind of reminds me of like if you go shopping for a day and mm-hmm. then you come back and you need to do a little fashion show <laughs> for each other you know like two two versions of that idea yeah <laughs> okay so number eight i'm coming back to you when brian remembers the thing that he, his teacher told him yeah one of the things was to get motivated yeah. <laughs> in in the literal note that I wrote down in the book was LMAO all caps useless and unrealistic. Yeah, like any kid in that class would take that to heart. <laughs> and remember and think back on it coming from a former student myself and teacher. Yeah. Ain't no way. No. Ain't no way. And also like I don't know, get motivated seems like a little it seems unnecessary when like it's life or death right exactly the motivation's kind of there it's kind of <laughs> intrinsic to the situation i don't yeah. think you need to get motivated yeah you you're not are. trying to like yeah you're not trying to launch like a <laughs> like an online brand right like exactly. you need to hustle <laughs> like brian should have hustled more you need you need to be on that grind uh it, it just cracks me up um uh, number nine uh just a little bit about the author gary paulson he is has a weird life yeah he's an interesting guy but he is a, most more than anything he is a man's man he is such a man's man that when i was like looking up like articles and write-ups about him the only one i found was from <laughs> From the Black Rifle Coffee magazine. Yeah, that was also one of the few sources that I used Which as well is for just, my piece. One, can't believe Black Rifle Coffee has a magazine. It does, yeah. And two, I, I've got to subscribe to it because what are they talking about? Yeah, for those of you who might not know, that is... It's libertarian coffee is how I imagine it. <laughs> well, yes, but the the title of that, um, Coffee or Die. Which, yeah, so that is... tells you the vibe of Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was reading through the article, and there's this paragraph I had to read. It, It's honestly one of the best group of sentences I've ever encountered. Yeah. Paulson ran away from home to join a carnival when he was a teenager <laughs> and later joined the army. This is really glossed over a lot. It, it's a lot, but I mean, it's succinct. I think it has to be, just from everything else that's going on. After serving from 1959 to 1962, followed by a brief stint working in an aeros- in the aerospace industry, he again ditched the quote-unquote normal life. And Where, op- where's the normal life? Yeah, like what point was any of that normal? 
also, God, back in the day when you could just work in the aerospace industry and you didn't need like a master's degree and like years of internships, <laughs> but whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but he ditched the normal life and opted to spend his time accompanied only by dogs, racing in the Iditarod three times. Yeah, which is the dog sledding. The dog sledding thing event. from like Anchorage to yeah wherever Sitka. I don't know wherever Balto lives. Yeah. Paulson's own desire to escape and survive as a child, and again as a young man, make up the essence of Brian's fictional journey in Hatchet. What What is up with this dude? He, you know, he lived a long and I'm sure fulfilling life. It sounds like it. If that's not fulfilling, then there's no hope for any of us because he did everything. He did. He he literally ran he away to off. the circus. Yeah. I didn't know people ever did that. I, guess I mean, that's they, like it, the had 50s. To, it had to have come from somewhere. Sure. <laughs> But I like it. No, good for him. And then he became an author. And then he became a very prolific author. <laughs> I, I know you're going to cover this later. I didn't realize how many other books he wrote. Yeah. He was very prolific. Okay. And then number 10. Um, This is more of a complaint than anything. Mm-hmm. But there is just so much repetition. Yeah. In this book. All of the sentences follow a specific pattern. Um, and... From the get-go, it was beginning to drive me nuts. Yeah, it's not the most, like, beautiful prose you're ever going to find. It's right. very uh, Hemingway, very stilted, very... It's almost like it was written by a guy who ran away to the circus as a kid and, and was a yeah. survivalist and then wrote a, a, a kid's book. Exactly. It, yeah, it's, it is it is a very much a middle-grade book. But, yeah, there's a lot of repetition, a lot of, like, uh, yeah, janky writing and, and bits. Yeah, definitely. But all right, that's all our, uh, you know, opinions and our findings about that. But uh, oh, is that a plane? Oh, my God. Oh, my. Oh, oh, it's crashing. Oh, the humanity. It crashed right in the middle of the road to pretension. The traffic's going to be a nightmare. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, no. Sybil didn't like that. I don't think our listeners did either, but it's staying in. <laughs> that's right. It's time to take a journey. Down the road to pretension, where we explore a literary device, technique, or idea from this week's book to see how it affects the story. Very cute. And today, we're keeping things moving right along as we look at Hatchet's use of narrative progression. Yeah, oh, narrative progression. I feel like you should have done like a progressive rock joke there. Well, bit late. Yeah. Bit late for criticisms there, babe. Uh, but specifically, I wanted to look at how uh, Gary Paulson uses the motif of food to mm. progress both the story and Brian's own personal character arc. Mm-hmm. So Hatchet is ultimately a story of growth, of learning, and finding uh, self-reliance. Uh, Brian transforms dramatically through the ideal, going from a boy from New York City, the least like wilderness type place you could come from, you know, like the most like concrete free of nature to, you know, comes from there. He's crying about his parents' divorce and he's transformed into a libertarian Tarzan that thinks feelings are gay. (laughs) It's the vibe I get. (laughs) Um, Paulson explores themes of self-reliance, independence and adversity through the frame of surviving in the wilderness and I think specifically Paulson utilizes the acquisition of food to track Brian's growth and mark points of him, you know, growing as a character. And so I just want to kind of let's break down all the food items and kind of show how it 
they work out in a very linear progressive way that yeah. I think is really is part of what makes this story so engaging to read. <laughs> um, the first food Brian finds are the red berries, the ambiguous red berries that Brian calls gut cherries, yeah. um, which immediately make him sick. Partly they make him sick because they aren't really a good source of food, which highlights Brian's ignorance mm-hmm. and his, you know, just kind of helplessness in the situation. Yeah. But also, importantly, the author makes sure to point out that he gets sick because he eats them too greedily. He eats too many. He eats the pits. He doesn't take his time. And that leads to him being sick. And so that way, so I'm putting that in. It's also showing that it's not only a situation, but Brian's own immaturity mm-hmm. and lack of discipline that is harming him in this situation. Yeah. But Brian learns from this mistake, and he takes a bit more time searching for better food, and his patience is rewarded when he discovers a raspberry bush, a much better source of food for him. Yeah. And then at the same scene, Paulson uses this time to establish the theme of connecting with nature uh, by having Brian come in contact with a black bear that is also eating the same berries. So it's very symbolic to have Brian and the bear going for the same food source because that's telling Brian that he is doing things correctly in this natural world that he's <laughs> becoming accustomed to. Yeah. And so soon after, Brian finds a pile of turtle eggs, possibly wiping out an entire species. <laughs> Doubt. Snapping turtles. Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Um, he's initially put off by the idea of eating raw eggs, but hunger ultimately wins out, and he actually finds them to be delicious. So here, survival is forcing Brian to do something he's uncomfortable with, but it ends up being a positive experience. He likes the eggs so much that he actually buries them in his shelter to keep as a treat. Mm -hmm. But later, they are taken by a skunk. And while in the moment, it's a devastating turn of events, a later, more mature Brian reflects on the event as a learning experience. Uh, To quote, he had... He had tried to take a shortcut and paid for it with his turtle eggs, which he had come to like more than chicken eggs from the store. Mm. They had been fuller somehow, had more depth to them. And, you know, to me, that seems like it's definitely a metaphor for the the, the harder thing, the more difficult path, the doing the more unique thing that's maybe harder to obtain is more fulfilling and you know good, ultimately. So having to push himself to eat something he wouldn't normally eat, he is again rewarded by having a delicious treat. And now he's forever going to be like telling people how turtle eggs are way better than their their, (laughs) their lame chicken eggs. Right. (laughs) Every time he sees someone eating. He's like, you know, those those are like so like weak and thin. If you ever had you want real eggs, you got to eat turtle eggs. (laughs) Like, go away from me, sir. Um, But from there, Brian progresses from foraging to hunting, first creating a spear for fishing and then a bow and arrow to hunt birds and rabbits. I find the bow and arrow to be the most dubious thing in this whole book. Like, the fact that he could create a bow and arrow that could produce enough force to, like, actually kill a bird is whatever, but I'm fine with it. But, like, I just, as a kid who was obsessed with bows and arrows and who tried to make their own a couple times, it's very hard. It is, yeah. But I'm no Brian. And so the progression of the quality of food parallels Brian's own personal growth as he builds resilience and perseverance, specifically with how he has to learn how to look correctly at the forest so he can find the outline of the birds he's hunting. Mm. So, we again, he's having to connect more directly with nature to grow and become you know like more of a man or whatever (laughs) and so his art culminates with him having to retrieve the survival kit from the plane the challenge of which 
requires the use of all the skills he's learned at this point. You know, he had to persevere. He had to build a whole raft. He had to, uh, you know, relearn the value of the hatchet by finding it. You know, it's really everything that has been leading up to this point to allow him to get to this survival kit, as well as like facing the the dead pilot, mm-hmm. having to face the trauma that initiated all of this. Right. Um. And so this results in the ultimate prize of the survival gear, which he, not an accident, refers to as presents. Mm, and specifically, mm-hmm. he saves the food packets, the most precious item for last. Yeah. Uh, but what makes this really interesting is that Brian is rescued before he ever really uses any of the survival gear, before he ever we see him eat any of the food. Yeah. And so by not showing Brian eating the pre-made food, Paulson is telling us that Brian didn't actually need the kit to survive. The kit is a luxury, providing such an abundance of food that Brian is able to even offer it to the pilot who comes rescue him, highlighting just how far he's come. So Mm -hmm. he's not only able to sustain himself, but he's grown to the point where he can sustain others as well. Right. As a man does for his family. Okay. (laughs) But that's not to say that the survival kit isn't important. While Brian never has to use the food in the kit to survive, retrieving it ultimately leads him to being rescued, suggesting that the skills he learned that got were able that allowed him to get the kit were necessary for him to be saved. Mm. Or to put it another way, the real prize was not the kit or the food inside, but it was the meals we made along the way. I hate you. That was really good. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a very simple tactic from Paulson yeah. that really just keeps the story going and you see him build and grow in a very specific good way. It reminds me a little bit of the Akatar book, uh, Court of Silver Flame, yeah. where there's a whole motif of a character whose personal growth is paralleled with the physical abilities, specifically them going up this or down this giant staircase and like as they get better as a person, they also physically are able to go down the stairs farther and it's a great way to just like have a barometer of your character growth Mm -hmm, that is more tangible yeah and it just always works for a great story when you do that i do love that but it looks like they got the wreckage and all the corpses off the highway so we can get off this old dusty road that's covered in oil and, and looks like you know bodily fluids um and Pull up to the Y Information Station, where Jess will use her advanced librarian skills to give us some insight into this story and possibly the wider world of Yah. Of Yah. Y- YA. Yeah, my very excellent library skills of Googling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I thought I would just give a little bit more information about Gary Paulson and also the book itself and its subsequent books within the series. Mm-hmm. So Gary Paulson was born in 1939 and he died pretty recently in mm. 2021. Wow, very recently. Yeah, at Good the age him. of 82. Wow. Yeah, but... COVID? I don't think so. I'm not sure. I'm going to say he was killed by a boar. Okay, yeah. That's a great way to go down. Uh, which is shocking. I, for some reason, I was thinking he was still alive, but he was also born in 39, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, again, I mentioned that he was a prolific author, and he ended up publishing over 200 books Whoa. in several genres. Really? Yeah. I didn't know it was that much. Yeah, a, a lot. Wow. His most famous is Hatchet, but he wrote, again, like so many books, and a lot of them were like 
for middle school age students. Mm-hmm. A good chunk of them were. And one interesting little tidbit is he, he wrote a book called Lawn Boy. Mm-hmm. And for those who might be in the know in the literary world, specifically in Texas, Lawn Boy is the title of another book that was more recently published. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it depicted like a, 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 a gay boy. Oh, no. Is what the main issue of it was. Yeah. Got that green cover. It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. By yeah. Jonathan Evison. Yeah. So, yeah, that one, it got a lot of pushback. And so a lot of people were going on to, like, Goodreads or, like, Amazon reviews on Gary Paulson's book with the same title. A lot of negative reviews, despite it being a completely different book about a completely different circumstance. Which is, it says so much about this outrage where people are outraged by a book that they can't even recognize enough to tell which book they're reviewing. Right, exactly. You think if like you were really upset about it and like in a because you'd read it and you know what, mm-hmm. what actually is in it, you'd like notice that it's uh, not the right author, but... Right. Just- and so... That led to Evison coming out and being like, if you see any of these types of reviews on Gary Paulson's Lawn Boy, please report it. This is not okay. I will take all the flack for my own work and I will not allow this to happen to another author who has nothing to do with the things that I wrote, kind of. Well, good on him. Yeah, pretty good on him. He first started publishing books in 1966. I think he maybe wrote like a couple of books before coming out with Hatchet because Mm -hmm. then Hatchet comes out in 60, hold on, not 60, 87. No, 86 actually. So whenever Hatchet first came out, there were also three books that were published slightly before then by different authors that also dealt with nature in a way that combined autobiography and fiction. And so you could say that this was a book of its time. Those other books were Richard Brodigan's Trout Fishing in America, mm, published in 67, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Robert Persig's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance in 74, and Norman McLean's A River Runs Through It, also 76. Yeah, just this type of books that are uh, have feelings, but they're manly enough feelings that you know certain men won't be up worried about reading them. Right, exactly. So it had these similar themes, and I think Hatchet was so popular because of these themes, but mm-hmm. also because of Paulson's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very accessible language, right? And I know I complained about the repetition earlier, but the repetition and sentence structure actually helps make this book perfect for a younger audience. Right, exactly, yeah. Black Rifle Coffee (laughs) article that we mentioned earlier has a good quote saying, Paulson's prose is short and sweet, like Hemingway for kids. Hey, I said that earlier. I know. And I wanted to point that out. That's funny. Talk about it now. And so then this book went on to receive the 1986 Newbery Honor Award, which... It's pretty significant, right? We talked yeah, in our last episode that just came out about the Newbery mm-hmm. Award. Like that, I feel like that's the most recognizable right. of the book awards, especially because you see them a lot as a child. They're that big old silver circle that you'll see on a book. Mm-hmm. And librarians love to push that one out to their students mm-hmm. for good reason. Because you get kickbacks from the Newbery <laughs> industry. <laughs> I'm sure. 
I don't. I've not. <laughs> I've not gotten a single kickback. So we'll see. Something someone who gets kickbacks would say. <laughs> so okay, then Paulson. Th- it was very popular. Paulson went on to continue Brian's saga, which is what the series is called, mm-hmm. um, with four more books. He said, "I'm gonna milk this kid." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm gonna get into what those four books are about. The second book is called The River. And this is where the government asks Brian to go back into the wilderness two years after the events of Two years. So he's 15. He's 15. They say, we want you to go back, but you're not going to go alone. Here is a government psychologist, Derek Holzer, to go with you, quote, so that astronauts and the military can learn their survival techniques that kept Brian alive, unquote, because (laughs) there's no one else who could do it better. Maybe not a, a retelling or, or recounting of it. No, you got to go and we're going to drop you off and it's just going to be all too. It's like, I made a spear. Right. You know, remember the Paleolithic age? Like, we could go in the backyard and I'll show you everything that I did. I made a spear and a bow and arrow, like the oldest <laughs> tools man's ever made. So, I had a hatchet. A little bit of a dubious That's That's an interesting premise, premise. yeah. Um, <laughs> But wouldn't you know, something very similar happens to Brian in this book. What? Something bad happens to him? Yeah, something happens to Holzer. He gets knocked out, and Brian has to get an unconscious Holzer to a, like, like some small town or something 100 miles down a river in order for him to save the doc, to save him by getting him to a doctor. That was very long. It's never going in the work with the Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, this is wild. So that's number two. That's such a man's fantasy. He's like, I survived so good that the government wants me to train the military. It really is. It's It's kind of hilarious. I love it. So book three is Brian's Winter, and I think Mm -hmm. it's probably my favorite premise of all of them. Yeah, I've actually started reading this one just just to get an idea about what the other ones were like. Yeah, so this is a bit of a thought experiment for those that might have thought Hatchet ended a little too perfectly, Mm -hmm. a little too conveniently. So this book is essentially what would have happened if Brian didn't get rescued when he had and what it's like to survive the winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I like this idea. I think that's a great uh, sequel premise. Yeah, because it does mention like he got rescued just in time. If he would have had to stay over the winter, it would have been a lot more difficult for him. And like you're, you're really it's a good way to give your audience more of what they want, which is that survival story. But in a way that's not as like kind of forced like having yeah. brian end up in the same situation again yeah like, exactly weird convoluted means uh-huh so he had, he had the he got the right idea the second time around for sure like, i yeah i think that one's yeah my favorite of all of them. i wish more authors and people did this kind of thing i was like alternate takes of the story oh, I reality love that. i know like marvel did like what if or something something similar but i don't follow mm-hmm. the marvel stuff very much but i i always love to see like an, uh, the original author's take on like what would have happened if it was this way or something. I don't know. It's kind of fun. It is fun. I, and I think it's enjoyable for the authors to write that too. I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, Stephanie Meyer's done done it twice now. Yeah. But uh, Life and Death is probably my favorite of the two. The one where it's like gender swap, but she also gave it an alternate ending, which is mm-hmm. what I like most about it. Right. And yeah, that's the thing. And then so you kind of get best of both worlds. You get the story you had, but you also get this kind of a different maybe you know a somewhat an ending after they thought about it for a bit or something like that mm-hmm. but it's a, i always love that kind of stuff me too so the book four is mm-hmm. called brian's return in the blurb 
says, quote, Now that Brian's back in civilization, he can't find a way to make sense of high school life. Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, he feels disconnected, more isolated than he did alone in the North. The only answer is to return, to go back in. For only in the wilderness can Brian discover his true path in life and where he belongs. And I feel like this might stem from Gary Paulson's need to, like, escape normal life. Like, yeah. go to the circus or go train in sled dogs. Yeah. Paulson definitely has, like, an aversion to, like, city life and suburbia. Yeah. Which is fair. And I feel like he was really tapping into that with this book. Yeah, especially, yeah. And this also seems like a bit realistic for Brian, too. Like, he's never going to be normal. He's right. probably only going to feel comfortable back it's kind of like you know ptsd where you know you're just like you you go from such an extreme existence it could be hard to just slow down and like just be normal again exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and so then number five it's called brian's hunt and brian is living his life in the wilderness now so the blurb reads when brian finds a dog one night a dog that is wounded and whimpering he senses danger the dog is badly hurt And as Brian cares for it, he worries about his Cree friends who live north of his camp. His instincts tell him to head north, quickly, with his new companion at his side, and with a terrible, growing sense of unease, he sets out to learn what happened. He sets out on the hunt. Yeah, I believe the cover for this one is like Brian with like a bow and arrow arrow and a giant bear. Uh Uh-huh. You're like, oh. Less interested in that one. I am also less interested in that one, but you can also see parts of Paulson's life bleeding Mm -hmm. into that with the dogs. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, And I just just thought that was a little bit interesting. So that's my piece. Uh, If anyone wants to know where I got all of my sources, I went to Sparknotes, Coffee or Die, and Goodreads. So... There you go. There we go. Oh, now it's time for Book Superlative. So our normal questions we ask, a lot of them don't quite apply very well to the story. So right. I also included a, a possibly unanswerable questions. Okay. I just want to discuss real quick. Yeah. I just wanted to say, what point would have you died? Assuming we both, we survive like the plane crash, we get on the shore. Mm-hmm. How long do you think you would have lived? I think I could have done similarly. If I had the luck that Brian had mm-hmm. and maybe slightly better knowledge, I think I could do the same. I think I'd do all right. I would definitely die like... I think I could make it a couple weeks, though. I, I think I could. I think I could. I think I could survive. I don't think I could have made the spear and the bow and arrow, though. I don't think I would have been able to do that. I wouldn't have been able to make the bow and arrow, but Maybe I definitely would have been able to make the spear. And I would have probably tried fishing a lot or sooner somehow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think I would have made it. Um, <laughs> you think Brian ever went to therapy? Um, this is the 80s. No. no. I don't think he did. I think he he just went back to the woods. Yeah, I think that's what... No, actually, I think his mother would have found him a therapist. I don't know that it would have necessarily helped him, mm-hmm. but I think his mother... Now that I'm thinking, if she bought him a hatchet, she probably got him into therapy. Maybe. I, I could... She, he, she, he probably quit pretty quickly on therapy. Mm-hmm. My couch was too soft. Sure. Like, I, I, I'm too I comfortable. See that. Yeah, back in that time. Um... I think Brian's dad was just like a bad partner. I, you know, who's to say? I think the the hardest part about dealing with divorce as a child mm-hmm. 
I think well one one aspect of it is is kind of getting caught in the middle and that's never fun to be used kind of like as a pawn like that Mm -hmm. but I think the more universal pain that comes from being a child of divorce is learning that your parents are just humans that they're Mm -hmm. just normal people that make mistakes or maybe don't make good choices Mm -hmm. and kind of having to take them off this pedestal in your mind is one of the more difficult aspects of it. And so who's to say if his mom's affair was the issue or if his dad wasn't a good partner, which is why she left or or what was happening. But I think, I mean, they're just, they're probably just humans and Brian's having to deal with that. Yeah, I have no experience with any of that. <laughs> so, not our normal superlatives. <laughs> Hottest take. Hottest take, the divorce plot went nowhere and was unnecessary. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think the idea was that it's supposed to be like representative of his end of Brian's innocence and Mm -hmm. him having to become an independent person. And like you're saying, him discovering that his parents are just people and that he is also just his own person and he has to learn to see himself as an individual and take care of himself. But the whole book's kind of about that. So, like, you didn't really need the whole divorce thing. I think he, he just wanted an extra layer to it to give, yeah. like, Brian, like, an emotional motivation. But, Definitely. Yeah. But I feel like he either could have left it out or <clears throat> leaned more in. I agree. It's like when we're watching The Great British Bake Off and someone says that they put, like, lemon in the recipe. And mm. Paul Hollywood's like, if you say you're going to put this in there, I need to be able to taste it. Right, and similar reference is like in the Bible when God says, be hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out. Yeah. I see Paul Hollywood as God, so that's why it was similar <laughs> to me. Um, my hot take is, the dad knew about the affair. He knows. One hondo Yeah, he knows about, like, yeah. I, the whether mom started dating sparked, the guy. Whether right they after. were separated and then she, or, yeah. or like, what? He knows. He knew. He knew. Like, come on. If Brian knew, he knew. Um, would this book have been improved by a love triangle? I mean, there kind of was one. What do you mean by this? I saw this note. Mom, dad, mom's affair partner. Oh, triangle. I don't know if I called it a love triangle. Uh, Close enough. um, I said it would, but only if it was between him, the bear, and the wolf. (laughs) Possibly the moose. Fair. Um, Fair. What item would you keep from this book in real life? With the obvious caveat that the, uh, the obvious answer is the hatchet. Well, I said the survival bag that Brian got from the plane. Because, um, again, I'm just thinking of those MREs. They're mm-hmm. so fun to use. Mm-hmm. I just want the hat. That's what I put. <laughs> I just put the hat. I want that Cessna hat. Fair. What's your yearbook quote? This one, I'm very interested to see what you picked. Because this one's not an easy one to find. Right. No, but I... Um... I would amend it by making mm-hmm. it present tense. Okay. But this was like the only thing that I really highlighted in the book mm-hmm. that I was like, that's a good line. Besides whenever Brian says you want to eat something to the pilot, <laughs> like you want to have dinner. Yeah. Um, is nothing in nature was lazy. That's a good one. Yeah. I put one that's more just a descriptive of my time in high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. He was unbelievably, viciously thirsty. That's a better one. I think you win this round. Thank you. It is a competition. (laughs) Better love story than Twilight. It almost was one in Chapter 5. Pretty similar. (laughs) We've proven once again Stephanie Meyer is a hack. She steals everything. Uh, Uh, No. No. It's just about divorce. It's not very fun. (laughs) 
I guess falling in love with nature, maybe. Yeah. Um, who's your book MVP? The Turtle Eggs. That's a good one. I'd say the NATO. That's also a good one. It did win. But I think the turtle eggs, and I also have like a little tidbit that I got from Spark Notes. I'm glad because this is also in the back of the book, and <laughs> I was gonna put put this in, but then I saw you already did it. But I've loved this. Yeah, I'm just gonna read it verbatim. You can do it. it. Says, Although Paulson had already personally experienced much of what Brian experienced in the book, flex. He tried to eat a raw turtle egg as research for Hatchet, so that he could describe what Brian tastes as accurately as possible. Unlike Brian, however, Paulson couldn't make himself swallow the egg. I'm surprised he even included that. <laughs> Me too. But I like it. It's honest. Um, I do yeah. love that. I think that's that's a good author. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I gotta know. Yeah. I mean, I would too. But it's a great description of it, like how slimy and weird it feels. He probably was able to eat like a real egg like that. Oh, Paulson. Or like a quail egg. Paulson's downed some raw chicken eggs in his life. <laughs> Gross. Um... And then uh, grading scale. Where do you rank in it? Okay. So again, we are from top to bottom. It goes buy it in hardcover, mm-hmm. used bookstore grab, worth an audible token, wait for it on Libby, borrow it from that one friend who won't shut up about it, or set the oven to 451. I say wait for it on Libby. Yeah, I agree. That or borrow it from someone. I think it's in between there. It's... I would say buy it for, if you have a kid that age. Yeah, buy sure. Form, they'll love it. Like, it's a great book for a kid. I think it's still worth reading now. It's a fun read. Um, yeah, but if you're, like, a grown adult like you yeah. and me, and, and basically you could just listen to this podcast and get everything out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, even as an adult, if you want to read it, it I think you'd still get a good time. and take you, like, half a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but, yeah. Good on Libby. I'm reading, I was, I'm probably not going to even finish it, uh, but I was reading a bit of Brian's Winter, and I was like, yeah, it's still interesting. I'm still, yeah. like, curious, like, how you approach this story. Um, but yeah, it's it's a solid book. It's definitely middle school me, top tier, Biden hardback, but um, definitely doesn't translate great to, to an adult audience. Yeah, for sure. But for it doesn't sure. have to. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the most important question, does it suck? No, I don't think it does. No, not at all. It's it very effective. It's very effective. Just a solid, very effective read. Yeah, I wonder if we'll ever read a book that sucks. Um, it'll be interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, or if we have one that set the oven to four fifty one. Yeah, that'd be fun. I guess we'll have to start uh, reading books that we've not read before. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but that's it from us. Yeah. That's Hatchet. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you li- want to like us on the, the socials, you can find us on NSYA Pod. That's NSYA Pod. Uh, if you have a question, you want to say hi, you can message us at NSYA at gmail.com. Our intro song is by my friend Alex Moon. You can check out more of his music on his Facebook page at Vintage Attire Music or Alex Moon. One of those things. Just Google Alex Moon. There's not a lot of them. Yeah. And if you liked us, please tell us you liked us by rating us five stars. Five stars. On whatever you listen to us. Give me those stars. Give me those stars. Please give me those stars. Yeah. Please. Pretty please. 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 Um, We'll come back with you later with Holes. That's Mm going to be the next book in this series of books for the boys. Mm -hmm. And we are also going to be starting little like kind of, I want to say mini episodes, but like. 
just like not the same tier as we have been doing mm-hmm. because we are just really obsessed with Sarah J. Mass and the Crescent City series. Yes. We're going to start maybe recording a few episodes of that. So if you want to listen, feel free. Please note, however, that those books are certainly not YA. No. They are adult books with and, uh, some adult themes and other things. So yeah, this warned. is more <laughs> just we just want to uh, we are going to be shouting at each other about this book. So we figured we might as well make content out of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's the third Crescent City. So if you want to read along with us, we'll be talking about we'll be breaking it down to chunks that we'll ta- tell you about later. But yeah, it'll probably be explicit as well and full of spoilers. Yeah. So, so just, just fair warning. Fair warning. That. But uh, yeah, I think that's it. Um, just remember, guys, if your parents are getting divorced, make sure you get some good gifts out of it. Yeah, really ring them out really for just, all they got. You can guilt them really easily. They're already They already guilty. feel bad, and you can just, just really press on that wound. <laughs> but also remember, uh, don't suck. Yeah, don't suck. Bye! Bye. Oh man, um, I started watching the movie of Hatchet. Oh, I on didn't. YouTube. I guess I did know that there was a movie. They called it like the Call of the Wild. Which you're like, why would you adapt a really popular book and then name it something different? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Um, it is such an '80s movie. Ooh, oh man, it is rough. Not interested then. Yeah, it's not great. Um, but they showed like the pilot, like taking a dump. Like you see all of it in, in the plane. Really, it's really are, graphic. Are you being real right now so real i don't know that i believe you so real you are making me believe you less so real it's the best movie (laughs) it's the best poops you think i'm the first one to try a trump impression